Welcome to Making Modern History with Michael Rocks. The date is June 29, 2020. Today I'll be talking about a number of shootings that occurred over the weekend and today. I'll brief you on the Saharan dust plume that is hitting the southern United States, and you'll hear about a COVID treatment drug that has been announced for public use. On Saturday, June 27th, a man shot into a crowd of protesters in Louisville, Kentucky, which resulted in the death of a young photographer named Tyler Girth. Protesters had been gathering in Louisville's Jefferson Square Park for weeks due to the fatal shooting of Brianna Taylor at the hands of police during a no-knock warrant initiated in the middle of the night on March 13, 2020. While her boyfriend did open fire at officers, claiming that he thought they were intruders breaking into their apartment, Brianna was unarmed. She was shot eight times by the officers, resulting in her death. Last Saturday, June 27th, started out as a normal day of protesting. The suspect, whom I will not name, had several confrontations with protesters who had asked him to leave due to his disruptive behavior. The suspect had been arrested twice for disorderly conduct and harassment at previous protests. Both arrests occurred in the past few weeks. At approximately 8.59pm, the suspect allegedly fired shots into a crowd of protesters, hitting 27-year-old Tyler Girth in the head. The suspect tried to escape on foot, but was shot at by several protesters and hit in the leg, incapacitating him according to the police report. Tyler was announced dead on the scene and the suspect was apprehended. Police have removed all camping equipment from Jefferson Square Park and are no longer allowing overnight protesting. The park will be closed at 11 p.m. and reopened at 6 a.m. This has sparked further tension between the protesters and police as there have been allegations of property damage due to the handling of said equipment. No other injuries were sustained by protesters or police officers during this particular incident. In other news, Two officers were shot early this morning in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and remain in critical condition following a routine traffic stop turned violent. The suspect will not be named in this podcast, but sources are available in the description for those wishing to stay up to date on this story. At approximately 3.30 a.m. in Tulsa, Oklahoma, officers Craig Johnson and Arash Zarkeshin pulled the suspect over. The suspect was uncooperative and refused to get out of the vehicle despite being ordered to by police, according to a press statement given by the Tulsa Police Department earlier today. Johnson, a sergeant, tased the suspect after warning him several times that he would be tased if he did not comply. The suspect fought the taser and also fought pepper spray that was used by Johnson. After wrestling the suspect out of the vehicle, the suspect allegedly produced a handgun and shot at the officers several times, hitting both of them in the head. He then, reportedly, escaped into a waiting getaway vehicle and was at large until 11 a.m. this morning, when a standoff with police ensued. The suspect is now in police custody. As of 5.43 p.m. today, the officers are still in critical condition. My thoughts and prayers are with the officers and with their families during this time, and I truly hope that no more police or civilians get shot during this time period. Despite issues our society, and myself, have with how policing is done in the U.S. at the moment, shooting police and possibly killing them is not the right answer. These officers did not use excessive force, nor did they immediately jump to lethal force when attempting to apprehend this man. Not all police are evil, and we need to remember that they are people too. Yes, we must have civilian oversight to weed out the corrupt officers. We must also support those who do their jobs properly, which is the majority of them. We need to meet and figure this out as a society before this sort of violence becomes too commonplace. I hate to lead out with stories like this, but I feel it is necessary to inform people about what is happening in the country at the moment. It is brutal, but these stories are indicative of the time period we live in. I hope not to have to report more of these stories like this but I will do so as they happen. Now on to lighter news. 
Starting last weekend, the Saharan Dust Plume, the largest recorded in the past 50 years, rolled into the southern United States and is expected to travel as far north as the state of Michigan. Pictures of large dust clouds and hazy sunsets abound throughout the internet, and this phenomena will cause higher than average temperatures in the affected areas. These are common occurrences, though not to this magnitude. The Saharan air layer has been pulling dust from the Sahara Desert for a long time, and is a large factor in the health and development of the Amazon rainforest. We've only been tracking it in depth since 1972. The name of the air current, and therefore the dust storm, comes from the Sahara Desert in northern Africa. The Sahara Desert often gets to 110 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 43 degrees Celsius, and strong dry winds pick up immense amounts of dust. An average of 182 million tons of dust each year is picked up from the Sahara and brought across the Atlantic. While much of that dissipates over the ocean, enough carries over to the Caribbean and South America to create lush, fertile landscapes. The current is most active in late spring, summer, and early fall, coinciding with hurricane season. The activity of this layer impacts the development of hurricanes and tropical storms, since the air is dry and hot. This particular dust plume, being as large as it is, will cause a delay in 2020's hurricane development. The exact impact has yet to be determined. Links between climate change and these dust plumes are uncertain. Studies have been done trying to link the two, but are largely inconclusive. With such a large dust plume hitting the United States, however, there is speculation that these larger storms may become more commonplace. Weather patterns such as this are difficult to predict on a large scale due to a variety of complex reasons, such as wind patterns, ocean currents, droughts, and the possible impact of mankind on micro- and macro-scale climates, to name a few factors. Meteorology is a complex science and cannot be taken lightly. Even our most current and up-to-date models have trouble detecting weather patterns beyond a few weeks due to complex amounts of variables involved. To accurately predict weather patterns on a regional or even a local level, a good understanding of thermodynamics, fluid dynamics, and geological formations is required. Lakes, mountains, valleys, and so on could have large impacts on how weather patterns emerge and travel. So any speculation as to whether or not the severity of this dust plume is going to be more commonplace is just that. Speculation. My take on this dust plume is that it is not an apocalyptic event. It certainly looks that way to people living in the southern United States and on coastal cities, but it is a normal weather pattern that has shifted slightly in size and scope this time around. Perhaps it will become a more common occurrence to have storms this size impact us, and perhaps it will not. With everything going on, this is not something to worry about. My granddad used to say that it was no good to have too many irons in the fire, so to speak. At the moment, this is not an iron that needs to be in the fire. The only thing that raises my hackle slightly is the potential impact, if any, on the farming industry. This dust plume will last for several days in altered temperatures, light levels, and humidity levels in the regions that it hits. I don't think it will last long enough to have a significant impact, but we don't know for sure. Perhaps this truly is the end of the world and the Mayans were just a few years off. For now, it is a very cool phenomenon, with lots of beautiful pictures. Enjoy it as you can. As a final topic, let's discuss the recent experimental COVID treatment being released for medical distribution. Remdesivir is an antiviral drug developed, and now sold, by Gilead Sciences Incorporated. Gilead Sciences is an American pharmaceutical company based out of Foster City, California, and has been testing remdesivir since February in order to release it for public use. A double-blind study conducted over the span of several months upon 1,063 patients across the globe concluded that remdesivir was more effective than placebo at treating COVID-19. The results were published in the New England Journal of Medicine on May 22, 2020, and will be linked in the description. Here is a summation. The average recovery time of COVID patients was reduced by four days, as opposed to those taking the placebo. Those taking remdesivir had reduced chances of COVID-19 complications, such as serious respiratory failure, hypoglycemia, and kidney failure. It did not prevent these issues entirely, 
but the amount of people in the remdesivir group that experienced these conditions were markedly less than those in the placebo group. While remdesivir does shorten recovery time amongst those with mild to moderate cases of COVID, those requiring ventilators or enriched oxygen were not helped as effectively as those who had more mild cases. In fact, for those requiring ventilation, recovery for those taking the drug was less than those in the placebo, by about 5%. Overall, deaths were lessened in the remdesivir group versus the placebo group, but it cannot be determined with statistical accuracy if the remdesivir had a profound impact on reducing COVID's lethality, especially amongst those with the most severe symptoms. It is also noted in the paper that the largest sample size in this test were people who needed oxygen but did not need high-flow oxygen or ventilation treatments. As such, the findings of this study can be best applied to this grouping. Gilead's CEO, Daniel O'Day, released a letter today regarding the pricing for remdesivir. In the letter, O'Day talks about the ethical considerations when pricing a drug like this during a pandemic. He said, quote, In normal circumstances, we would price a medicine according to the value it provides. End quote. He then goes on to cite U.S. hospital savings as being around $12,000 per patient and lists a number of other factors that would add to the value of this drug as well. He then added that we, quote, have decided to price remdesivir well below this value, end quote. Developed countries, as stated in the article, will be able to purchase remdesivir at $390 US per vial. Since the majority of patients are expected to receive six vials in a five-day treatment plan, according to Daniel O'Day, this equates to $2,340 US per treatment. Private insurance companies in the U.S. will have to pay $520 U.S. per bottle, meaning that the average treatment for a five-day plan would be $3,120 U.S. Due to the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, or CARES, passed earlier this year on March 27th, these costs must be covered by the insurance provider, as it is considered a qualifying coronavirus preventative service. CARES will also help those who do not have private insurance and even those who do not have any insurance get tests and treatment for COVID. O'Day also states that Gilead and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS for short, have entered into an agreement. The HHS will manage allocation of remdesivir until the end of September 2020. Tests and improvements towards the drug are ongoing, and, according to O'Day, research and development costs for remdesivir will exceed $1 billion U.S. dollars by the end of the year. This drug has not been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, or FDA. The FDA has issued an emergency use authorization which will allow distribution of the drug. They reserve the right to cancel this emergency authorization at any time until they officially approve the drug for use in the United States. My opinion of all this is as follows. Daniel O'Day seems to be genuine about wanting to price this drug fairly and make it available to everyone. R&D for pharmaceuticals in America is based off of a very messed up system, and he does need to recoup costs somehow. Compared to how many companies price insulin and other necessary drugs, this is benign. As much as I would like this drug to be free, it could be much worse. Given the situation this company is in, I think they are going to do the best they can. I might be wrong, and I reserve the right to light torches and grab a pitchfork if needed, but I see a genuine attempt to help, using what methods we have available. Whether or not hypercapitalism is a beneficial system to society at large is another topic. Given that this is the system we live in, Gilead Sciences is doing what they can. I am, however, cynical about the government, or private insurance in America, trying to pass on the cost to consumers for this drug. I know the CARES Act says it's illegal to do so, but loopholes exist, and I'm sure someone somewhere is looking for ways to do it. A few thousand dollars for a five-day treatment is something most Americans cannot afford. I sincerely hope that I am wrong, but I have my concerns that this will be yet another financial weight upon the working class of America.
As far as the drug is concerned, this is not a miracle cure. It does have some impact on the COVID-19 treatment, which is good, and I am glad that we are moving in the right direction. My concern is that the inevitable shortage of this drug is going to cause some mass hysteria and outrage in a time of political unrest. Further, people will put too much weight on this being a cure-all when it is not even being advertised as such. Media and public attention may give the drug too much weight, which will result in crashing expectations. I also have an immediate concern over the small amount of testing done on this drug. Barely over a thousand people is not a large sample size, and hundreds of patients did not report back or were still being treated at the time of the results being published, leaving some results to be inconclusive. I understand that this current crisis demands that some scientific rigor be thrown out the window in order to find solutions to said crisis. The question of whether or not we should bow to said demands remains to be seen. I am personally skeptical of doing so, but we live in strange times. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. Thank you for listening to today's episode. All links used for research are in the description. Somewhere, there's this guy that posted a summation of 2020 that I really liked. I read something to the effect of, I've always wanted to live through the Great Depression, World War, the Dust Bowl, and the race riots. Not all at the same time, but beggars can't be choosers. I wish I could find it because that post was spot on. This year is so intense. I'll do my best to report what I can when it happens. Please stay safe. This has been Michael Rocks with Recording Modern History. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.